Hey there, I'm Everett. I'm Baron. And welcome to Bro, Bro Have, Have You Seen? Alright, bro. Hey, bro. What's up? Not much. I'm pretty exhausted, but I'm Same. excited to be here. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. got my can of LaCroix here. Nice. Uh, Raz Cranberry, of course, <laughs> the best flavor. So I'm ready uh, to go, ready to rock and roll. Nasty, but anyways. Agree to disagree. Okay, whatever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I suppose we could probably just jump right into it. This might be a pretty long discussion. Yeah. Uh, our 50s one was pretty long, and that was one less movie, which means two less movies to discuss because that's one from each of us. That's a lot of math, dude. That's too much. I know. It's <laughs> high-level calculus. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, we're going to dive right in. So do you have anything to say on this outset? No. <laughs> I don't think so. I think, yeah, we can just dive right in. Cool. Uh, do you want to break down maybe uh, what our list is, what, why we're doing it, like what it means, and yeah. uh, what the 60s were all about? Sweet. So yeah, uh, we did the five from the 50s last month. It's kind of this new thing we're starting, and once a month we'll do a new decade. It's been a really cool exercise to watch new movies, uh, to have seen a bunch we wanted to check out, and it's a good excuse to, you know, have to do that. But I found that I had a lot from the 60s that I had already seen. Uh, my list is pretty diverse. Uh, I've got a couple different genres, a couple different countries, different directors, but... Uh, we're trying this one a little bit different. Last time, we both knew each other's list beforehand, but this time, we're both going in blind on what the other person picked, and we're kind of just going to see how that goes. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So we'll kind of describe the movie generally and see if, you know, kind of builds that anticipation. So maybe see if you can guess them as we go along. But, uh, yeah, the 60s uh, feels like they're more of a foreign time. A lot more foreign films from the 60s that are, really prevalent at least that's when like a bunch of stuff was booming i mean french new wave was really 60s uh italy was booming in the 60s uh not until like um, uh the 70s in america it started really picking off uh picking off no kicking off yes but anyways uh did you have anything to mention about the 60s i mean i don't know too much about like historical context but all i know is that it's a fantastic decade and many great films yeah it was definitely full of a lot of great movies uh i think with my love for the new hollywood era of the 70s i tend to bag on the 60s quite a bit uh mm. especially in american movies yeah uh, like you mentioned there's a lot of great stuff happening around the world um, of course, there's France, who's just having a whole renaissance period. Even, like, Britain is undergoing kind of this new wave of film era. And later in the 60s, we get where the Americans started to catch on to these other movements, decided to make films uh, that were similar in style, and right. kind of breaking out of that studio system that becomes really, really um, burdensome uh, during those mid-60s years when right. they're kind of just grasping on to any sh- uh, shred of success that they could muster. Uh, I know that like Hello Dolly, I'm pretty sure it was Hello Dolly, was pretty much just trying to recreate the magic of singing, not singing in the rain, but uh, the sound of music. Sound of music, yeah. Yeah, the sound of music. 
and so like there's a lot of big studios that are run by executives who just don't really know what they're doing anymore they've lost sight of you know what true talent is and you know with the the whole code system the rating system like everything everything was really strange and like it was troubled waters uh under the surface whereas i mean everything seemed okay to me it kind of reflects what's going on right now where you have the big studios like disney kind of running the world and uh determining what kind of movies get put out um and who knows maybe in the next 10 years or so we might see another surge of great artistic films uh here in america but like you said the rest of the world doing really well um and even some great american films uh from some great auteurs who still somehow had the power to make the movies that they wanted to make um and then you know some of those mavericks who went out and did stuff by themselves i have a couple of those Mm -hmm. lists of of ones that really changed the game so yeah i mean 60s were great i i had a lot more films on uh on my letterbox from this decade rather than the 50s where like it right. was kind of hard to pick one that I liked enough to put on a list for the 50s. Whereas this, I really struggled uh, cutting some of my beloved films off of this list just to fit, you know, six. So, right. um, yeah. And I should mention off the top that this is not a ranked list. At yeah, least that's for me. important. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, these are just my top six in any given order. Um, from the 60s, ones that I felt needed to be highlighted or ones that just I have a personal connection with. Yeah, me too. And like I said, I have, I think, I definitely have a majority of foreign films. I think it's four to two, uh, foreign to American. But um, yeah, I was super excited for this episode. I think the 50s and 60s are probably two of my favorite decades. Um, But I haven't seen a lot of 70s stuff, so I can't really speak too much for that. And I'm again excited for next month to have an excuse to watch all those movies i wanted to at least another reason to (laughs) yeah well it's good i think we balance each other out because i have four to two american international films perfect i have four american films and then two from other countries so total we'll have six and six so yeah it's really good um i'm excited to share these films with you bro and the rest of our listeners um you know just maybe looking for something to watch and probably should revisit this decade there's a lot of great films Mm. you mentioned off the top that there that we kind of like it gave us a chance to go back and see some of the ones that we missed like some blind spots exactly and i had a big long list that i definitely didn't see (laughs) all of but i'm really glad i did uh typically when i do that uh like you sort of alluded to i like the films that i recently watched for the first time but I tend to go back and say, well, I've loved this film for so long that yeah, I have to that's, include it. that's what happened to me on the 50s list. I couldn't adequately include one that I watched this past week when there's one that I had seen a year ago that I've thought about ever since. Yeah. So that's like something also to take into consideration. It's true. You don't want that recency bias. But sometimes yeah. it goes the other way where I don't necessarily give credit to the ones that I recently mm-hmm. watched, even though I really, really loved them and they really impacted yeah. me. So this time, I think my list is a little more balanced. I have a couple that I saw a long time ago, and nice. I have a couple that I watched in the last couple weeks just preparing for this awesome. uh, episode. So I'm ready to dive right in. Yeah, uh, we'll keep it spoiler-free. Um, yeah. At least I did. I don't know. Um, I did. Uh, yeah, like I said, we're going to just explain 
the movie a little bit, some the reasons why we liked it and stuff like that. And if you want to go check any of these out, uh, we would recommend all of them. That's why they're on the episode. So Yeah, most of them are streaming one place or another. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, again, I mean, stay tuned for... We're going to release a separate episode just because this conversation might go a little long uh, where yeah. we talk about what's entertaining us this week. It'll be one of those extended, you know, deluxe premium editions of what's entertaining us. And then our monthly pickups where we discuss... Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, where we discuss the, the movies or the physical media stuff that we have recently purchased, um, like Blu-rays and such, that we like to share with all of you because we like collecting physical media. So, cool. Uh, with that in mind, let's dive right in. I think okay. you started last time. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't I'm remember. Gonna, but I'm going to go you ahead start. and start, start off this time. So, um, I think I know what I'm going to say first. Okay. So, my first pick. <laughs> uh, one of the movies that started a movement, like we said. Uh, this, among four others, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, In the Heat of the Night, Dr. Doolittle, and Bonnie and Clyde, were all nominated for the Best Picture in 1968. In the Heat of the Night won the award, but this had the more this film had the more lasting impact. Um, one could argue that Bonnie and Clyde's effect on Hollywood was greater than the one I'm about to say, or at least similar in stature to that of this film, but between the two, I'll watch this any day of the week. It has taboo themes, witty and memorable dialogue, and some of the most iconic scenes of all time. It also made Dustin Hoffman a star, cementing mm. the idea that you don't need to be nice. the conventional movie star, air quotes, to leave a footprint in Hollywood. This is The Graduate... And it's easily one of the best, as well as one of my favorites from this decade. So, bro, what do you have to say about The Graduate? I know you've yes. seen this one. Yeah, I recently watched it. Not recent, recent, but a couple months ago. Oh, wow. Yeah, I loved this. Uh, I, I was surprised. I loved the music, of course. Simon and Garfunkel, just killer soundtrack. Yeah. Um, some may say the songs get a little repetitive. That may be true, but they're still super great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I... Hmm. It's a great one though. Like, hmm. Between that and Bonnie and Clyde, probably choose this. Probably choose uh, the Graduate mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, I I can't really think of much else off the top of my head. But right, that's a great one. I, yeah. I don't know if we want to say if it. I don't know if I want to tell you if it's not on mine or not. I'm pretty sure I. I'm pro- Prob- like I guess that it would be on your list. So it's fine if you don't have much to say it's, yet. Okay. So uh, I shouldn't you tell wanna, you. Yeah, if you okay. want to hold off. Okay, just uh, in case. But just just my opinion of this movie, I mean, of course, like the movies of this generation, it really, you know, it changed the game on so many fronts. You mentioned, you mentioned the soundtrack. It was one of the first movies to feature, like, pop songs on the mm. soundtrack. Uh, and primarily, like, there wasn't even really a score from what I can remember. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's... Again, like, it's really unconventional, you know, most people know the conceit of it, it's about this college graduate who comes home, doesn't really have direction in life, and he kind of starts an affair with uh, one of his parents' friends, Yeah. who is upset or maybe disillusioned with her marriage and, you know, wants a little bit of youth and excitement in her life, and uh, it kind of spirals this whole, you know, chaotic story um, that was super you know, upsetting at the time, it, it, it caught a lot of people off guard, right. it, it was very polarizing and divisive, um, but it really stood up to the test of time, you know, I, I watched this 
a little over a year ago for the first time, and I watched nice. it like right away again, like a week later. Nice. And I just liked it that much. So, uh, yeah, this is the graduate. Um, we mentioned the, like this era being one of the like ratings, you know, and it's crazy that this one got a PG because it's got that subtle nudity in there. Yeah. And that that scene, the editing on that scene is amazing, and yeah. the rest, I think. I can't remember. I I feel like I watched this because it won best cinematography. I think it did. Don't quote me on that. But there was a lot of scenes that were really cool, like the pool scene and yeah. uh, the way the cameras like inside his uh, scuba costume, like stuff like that was really unique. So it was Bonnie and Clyde that won best cinematography. If this came out in '67, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. I can't remember why exactly I watched this, but. <laughs> I did, and it was good. It was really good. And you mentioned the editing uh, where he first, you know, kind of sees uh, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Robinson, um, you know, in the buff. And uh, <laughs> and the editing is one that really, really stood out to me the first time I watched this. It was one of the first movies that I really started to notice editing. Primarily, um, you know, in that scene as well as... Um, and and I guess cinematography as well played a part and direction. It all kind of comes yeah. together. But my favorite moment, I think we've talked about this before, um, but there's a focus that yeah. happens in the yeah. movie that it's one of the most um, like story-driven, character-driven focus effects that I've ever seen in a movie. I don't know if there's one that tops it for me. Hmm. Um where the camera slowly comes into focus as one character realizes the truth about someone else. And it's totally shocking and totally, like, just beautiful cinematography right. that they used in that shot. It's so. a prime example of the, like, the cinematography being super uh, mended with the story and yeah. helping tell the story. Yeah, it's totally great. And I nice. should mention this was Mike Nichols directed this oh, film. Right. Um, and he directed some others that I have yet to see, but... You know, this really put him on my radar, and as well as probably a lot of others. Sweet. Okay, my first pick, I'll go with an American one first. Cool. Um, so this it, this has a great cast of characters. Uh, they're super clever and resourceful, and the situation they're in makes you wonder who's going to survive and who isn't going to survive. It uh, is super tense uh, during their substantial flee. <laughs> Of course, I'm talking about one of my favorite World War II movies and jailbreak movies that also has one of the most terrific chase scenes, and this is The Great Escape. Nice. Uh, 1963, directed by John Sturges. Cool. So, bro, have you seen The Great Escape? What do you think about it? I love The Great Escape. This was one that I was I had painfully cut out of uh. my top. <laughs> Sorry to spoil, but this movie's so good. I remember as a kid... This is probably one of the ones from the 60s that I've seen the longest, like, mm. that I saw the longest ago. Earliest, yeah, yeah, one of the earliest scenes. That I've kind of kept with me for a long period of time. And as a kid, you think, oh, old movies mm-hmm. are boring and, you know, you fall asleep because they're so long or whatever. And, like, this one, when I watched it, I was so interested the whole time and I never felt bored for a second yeah uh it's so engaging you know steve mcqueen is like awesome you know and yeah i mean as as good as rick dalton was uh Mm. once upon a time in hollywood uh fans out there would know that but uh yeah it 
it's awesome. I love jailbreak movies too, like heist movies, jailbreak movies. Oh yeah. Uh, I recently watched Grand Illusion from Jean Renoir back in the '30s, and like that was one of the earliest, you know, break out of prison kind of movies, and. I was like, man, this is like the French Great Escape, but like <laughs> 30 years before the Great Escape. Yeah. And it's so good. And this one, I mean, I probably liked more than Grand Illusion, but this one, I mean, that's because this one's just, you know, it's iconic. It's classic. And uh, I don't remember each scene quite as well as I wish. I need to go back and rewatch it, but... Yeah, great film. Good. Yeah, pick. the thing the thing that I loved the most was their resourcefulness in uh, all the stuff that they come up with as they're trying to escape. And we'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think it's like a prisoner of war camp or something. Yeah, World, World War Two. Uh, yeah, exactly. Cool. Awesome. Nice pick. All right, I'm gonna do one that uh, maybe is a little bit similar to your pick. Ooh, okay. uh, it's at least in the same era. Um, oh wow really in the 60s <laughs> no it, it depicts a similar time period oh okay okay uh so this is one of my favorite directors and it turns out that i've seen far less of his films than i thought i did mm. uh, i decided to go back and watch one that has been on my watch list for a long time this is mm. one of those that uh that i recently picked up on but i never got around to it for one reason or another in fact Sometimes it wasn't even my fault, just a circumstance thing. Hmm. Uh, it's a brilliant satire, blah, blah, blah. You know, this movie uh, has been talked about. I know what it is now. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That, that word is synonymous <laughs> with the title of this yeah. movie. Uh, it's been talked about so many times that it feels obligatory to put on a list like this. Um, and so I really was reluctant to include it. But... Uh, after watching it, I knew that I had to. I mean, <laughs> how can I not? I finally see what everyone sees in this. Uh, there were moments where I actually laughed out loud. Again, this time period, like, you think old movies aren't good or funny or whatever. Um, and if I if I didn't know it was going to be a comedy, I might have had a different reaction, honestly. Mm. Um, but is it his best movie? Uh, that's still up for debate. But what isn't up for debate is that Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, is a great film. And one of the best from the 1960s. Bro, what do you think about this movie? Have you seen it? Haven't seen it. Dang. Sadly. It was high on my prep-to-watch list. Sadly, didn't get around to it, as many others that I didn't. But uh, I know a little bit about this movie from just different places um in terms of sets and props and right. things like that uh but i've really been itching to watch it and once you saw it and told me how funny it was i was like oh weird like i didn't expect it to be super funny i yeah. thought it was going to be pretty serious but uh and yeah like you said satire it's like this is easy easily the easiest example of satire yeah. like Oh, what's a satire movie? Oh, jeez. Oh. oh, Doctor Strangelove. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's the first one that comes to my head for sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, I really want to watch it. Uh, good pick. Nice. Yeah, uh, it's really great. Like I said, I love Stanley Kubrick. And uh, I'm trying to go back and watch more of his movies, especially his early period. Like we mentioned uh, in the 50s when you brought yep. up The Killing. Yeah. Um, that's one among others that I really, really uh, need to see. And, you know, I, I love Clockwork Orange. That's probably my favorite from him. Mm. 
that's another really great satire on a lot of things. But this is just like, I mean, it's it's really witty. It's really funny. Um, and like I said, you know, like your understanding of the movie was that it was more serious. And honestly, if you didn't know it was a comedy, you like you might not laugh that much. Probably not. Yeah. But it's it's really absurd in certain moments. Uh, and there's a couple characters that like really are, you know, it's, it's the satire might be considered a little heavy handed. It's about like <laughs> nuclear, like cold war basically. And the arms, uh, race against Russia. Um, but you know, it's a classic and it's super famous. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, but that's my second pick from the sixties. Nice. Okay, this connects in the in terms of they're both in black and white. It's uh, the only connection I can think between these. Um, I don't have as much to say about this as other films on my list, but weirdly, as I was trying to fit in my number six, uh, out of the list of honorable mentions, this one just grabbed me, and I felt like I should include it for some reason. Don't really know why. But I did like it a lot when I first watched it, and it's a very defining genre film. It's spooky, it's charming, grotesque, endearing, horrific, and poetic all at the same time. It's a very interesting movie. Uh, some say it's the scariest and most messed up movie based on subject matter. And even though you don't see a lot of stuff, there's a bunch of things that are implied that make it super messed up indeed. Uh. And this is Georges Franju, Eyes Without a Face, 1960, or Les Yeux Sans Visage. Oh, yeah. Wow, big shot. French one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> I uh, took Spanish in high school. So. Ah, dang. You should have taken French. But. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, again, fr- France. I have more French movies to come, but this is the first. My least favorite out of all of them, but I just, again, I felt like I had to include it for some reason. Bro, what do you know about this? Have you seen it? I don't think you have. What no, you, have you heard I about almost it? did. Literally. Dang. So it's been sitting on my criterion channel like continue watching list because oh. i got nine minutes in and i just decided it wasn't the time to watch like i wasn't in the mood oh man it's been sitting there on that for just as staring as, you in the face yeah like probably six <laughs> months or so in the face <laughs> but without a face because it doesn't have one. Oh no eyes <laughs> but uh for some reason like the wi-fi wasn't working oh, and man. I couldn't, like i couldn't watch it so uh, I just like skipped all the way to the end so that it would get off my continue watching thing. I'll go back. So to you it. watched it? <laughs> yeah, tech, Criterion Channel. They think you did. Yeah, yeah. That's what's important. But yeah, I've heard it's really creepy and messed up, like you said. Uh, I, like, I am a little bit skeptical about that just because no, of for the sure. age of it. For sure. But I, mean, I I'm really interested because I like horror. So looking back, it's definitely not that intense. But it's really interesting to think of what you would have been thinking when you watched at the time. Like, right, wow, this true. is pretty messed up. Like, yeah, that's a it, lot. It's of these, some stuff that they didn't do at the time, and so that was really cool to see. Uh, and I, it's weird because I'm not huge into the horror genre. I haven't seen a lot, and I mean, yeah, it's yeah. a good one. You're definitely it. more of the foundational horror stuff. Like you've seen a lot more of the early period, like mm, the '60s kind right. of stuff, than I have. But yeah, cool. Okay. All right. Then I have a perfect uh, next pick Ooh. for you here. Uh, so honestly, I I like just about any genre of movies. I like crime thrillers, 
sappy romantic dramas, weird trippy comedies. I'm even beginning to like westerns. It's kind, oh, of, a, it's kind of a new thing for me, but <laughs> I'm getting into them. But if there's a genre that has always fascinated me, it's horror. Now, just me saying that will probably give you a clue as to what my next pick will be, mm. but this movie really shook me when I first watched it. It is a slow burn with little to no jump scares, but where it truly becomes one of the best horror movies of all time is its ever-encroaching, oozing, penetrating sense of dread and claustrophobia. It really excels in putting the audience in the shoes of its main character and makes us feel for the paranoia she's experiencing. It's about a woman who wants to have a child and her husband obliges. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> but she becomes cre increasingly suspicious of her neighbors. And what ensues is truly, truly terrifying. This is Roman Polanski's Rosemary's Baby, 1968. Uh, bro, have you seen this? What do you know about it? Uh, haven't seen it yet. So I know very little about it. Um, definitely one of me to check out. But haven't yet, but it's a good pick. I thought for a second it was Wait Until Dark, which uh, was maybe going to make my list. Like, that early yeah. description, it could have been it. Yeah, I got you going there. Yeah, you really did. That was good. <laughs> I wanted to put Wait Until Dark on so there. So did I. Because it's super underrated. Yeah. Uh, but, it's and Audrey as good Hepburn. as it is... It's Audrey Hepburn, right? Yeah, Audrey yeah. Hepburn. It's great. Yeah, as good as it is, I, I love Rosemary's Baby probably more. Just that sense of dread... That paranoia, like I said, is so, you know, that's the really terrifying stuff. I mean, jump scares, they'll scare you for five seconds, right. but like, Rosemary's Baby will stick with you. And few movies can do that, and I applaud it for its ability to do so. And, uh, you know, say what you will about Roman Polanski, he's had some history, <laughs> but, you know, there's no doubt that he's a good director of films, so had to had to include this one. And... Bonus trivia, there's a little bit of a connection between an mm. earlier movie that we've uh, talked about mm. because Ruth Gordon, who plays Maude in Harold and Maude, oh, actually okay. plays the neighbor lady nice. in this movie. And like, I don't know if there's two performances that could be so polar opposite of each other in someone's mm. uh, career, but Ruth Gordon, she's got range. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got my next one here. Cool. If I'd seen this movie earlier, it would have definitely made it on one of our other list episodes. Mm -hmm. I struggle with my thoughts on this director, if I love him or just admire his genius. He's probably right up there with me for Chaplin, though, in terms of best physical actors. And not just that, but that also direct and write their films. The bits here are so extremely clever and endlessly interesting. I think there's a lot more going on, though, than just comedy. There's satire, haha, like we've talked about before, and there's also a lot of social commentary. Uh, and this is, of course, Jacques Tati's Playtime, his masterpiece, 1967. Mm. Um, what did you think? Do you think I was talking about something else? Or did I did. No? I did. Yeah? But I was confused ah. because I was thinking okay. someone like Buster Keaton or uh, Harold Lloyd. Yeah. But those guys were way before the 60s, so yeah. I was really confused. Yeah. And also, I didn't know that Jacques Tati starred in his movies. Yeah, he so. is Monster Hulo. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. I've been meaning to check out his stuff for a long time. Uh, Criterion Collection, we talk about them all yeah. the time. They have a really, really great looking box oh, yeah. set of his movies. Definitely want to buy that. It's called The Complete Jacques Tati because 
famously, he never really made that many movies. Uh, nine, I think. I mean, right. only like six complete full-length movies and a yeah. couple of shorts. I am one movie away from completion. Ooh. So. Yeah, yeah he's one with, so close. Uh, you know, he's anti-prolific. I don't know what the word would be. He's very scarce in, in the movies yeah. that he made. So, you know, he may have had a short career, but from what I've heard, it was a very influential one. And, very good one. You know, a good one. So, yeah. good pick. Um, Meaning to check that out. Just a, a little couple more things about this. Um, on the note of, like, social commentary and stuff, um, Paris's history is literally a reflection in the glass panes of the modern society. The Eiffel Tower and the Arc de Triomphe. Triomphe? Yeah. Arc de Triomphe. Triomphe? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the Arc. Yeah, you arch, are in French. The one. Arch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, are huge symbols of France and its rich history, but they are totally absent in the film, except literally reflections in the glass. And that's really interesting. And I like that the most from the film. And also, like, I think it's really cool, but also just because I noticed it. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, yeah. maybe it was a little obvious, but I was like, hey, that's really neat. Like, I liked that I knew that and yeah. I saw that. It's always really And I powerful. connected it to, like, how the visuals were literally helping with, like, telling the story and what it was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the visual style, man, of course, like, everyone talks about that when they talk about this film. You can't talk about it without it. It's Tati's most visually stunning, the colors, just the... His films have so much different feeling. They're so sterile, and uh, there's just I don't know how to describe them, but they're confusing to Hulo and at times very relatable to us. But I I wrote in my review or I wrote in my review this kind of reminded me of the Gold Rush, kind of of just like I watched the Gold Rush after I'd watched a lot of other Chaplin's films, and so it was interesting to see him in this completely different situation, and that's kind of how. Hulo progresses through his movies, and this one is like, of course, the 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 peak because it's like one of the last ones, and so it was really weird to see. It was cool to see the conflict between who the character was and where they were, just like Hulo in this insanely modern society is just so off putting and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moments between almost unending gags, uh, I was struck with a deep respect and admiration for Tati and his piece of art. So I mean, I didn't always enjoy it but there's always something to find that i really liked about it and it's still one of my favorites of his and of the decade and it's great highly recommend sweet yeah it's always super rewarding when you have a moment it's a moment in a movie where you notice what they're doing you know yeah when you when you see the choices made by director or actor or you know other crew member where you can see oh that moment is doing this, you know, and you can relate it and connect it. It's always really satisfying and it, you know, makes you feel good as a, you know, film critic. Yeah, as an amateur film enthusiast. Yeah, when you can notice things like that rather than just understanding the story, you know, it goes beyond that. So, awesome. Yeah, I've heard that's his best movie. Uh, It's probably his highest rated, you know, it's the one people talk about. So, I'll definitely see that at some point, just haven't got to it yet. Also, if you're maybe listening and you want to watch this one you could watch it by itself but i would definitely recommend watching them in order so look that up and watch them in order it's really really cool to see his character Mm. progress so nice all right i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about one that's similar i guess it's also french uh but it's 
I mean, tonally, it's probably pretty different. Um, I've talked about this director during our last list, and while I'm still early in their filmography, I have loved everything they have done. Uh, this is a simple movie about a singer who is anticipating news from her doctor about whether she has cancer or not. She's very young, so the possibility of her becoming diagnosed with a terminal illness understandably gets the better of her, and she wanders aimlessly for a couple of hours. She gains and regains focus on what's going on around her, trying to avoid the subject but finding it quite impossible. It is told in roughly 15 chapters or so, and features all of the trappings of the French New Wave, of which this is a part. Uh, this is Agnes Varda's Clio from 5 to 7. Mm. It came out in 1962 and instantly grabbed me with its charm and sweetness despite the dark plot. Uh, bro, have you seen this movie? Sadly, I have not. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, Agnes Varda is a big blind spot. I think I mentioned that on the 50s list. I've seen at least one film from almost every other French New Wave director, if not more for some of them. But Agnes Varda, again, one I need to check out. So, and Cleo from, Cleo, is it, what is it, from 5 to 7? Yeah. Yeah, this is one that, uh, it's the one I've heard about from her the most besides maybe Vagabond. So those two are the ones I've been wanting to check out, so. Yeah, and if I might try my hand at French, the original title is Cleo de saint Asset. Nice. So, you know, that's pretty easy. I know those words, and I know yeah. numbers a little bit. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's really good. It's charming. You know, the main lead actress, I forget her name, but she is really, really charming and just really interesting to watch. Um, you know, she is kind of a famous singer, and so it's it's one of those that kind of depicts more of the upper class of people, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't relate to everyone else. Um you know, I, I just really thought it was really sweet. Um, something that this era, we've mentioned the French New Wave a ton, but one of the things I noticed from this film that's similar to Varda's other work that I've seen, and someone like Jean-Luc Godard, who um, was part of that French New Wave, um, is that they're very, very simple plots, if they have a plot at all. This, right. one, this one had more of a plot than, say, Breathless, but... Uh, it was mostly a slice of life. I mean, this was literally just two hours and what she did in those two hours. <laughs> you know, she goes from place to place. She talks to people. She has somewhat meaningless conversations. You know, it's kind of just, you know, a day in her life. Um, but the theme and the that anticipation of the news, um, it kind of ties it all together. That's really cool. And it brings it to a really beautiful story so so it's almost like real time right because the movie's like an hour and a half long i think yeah it's, like it's almost real time it's so it's a, it's a little, little bit, bit shorter less, but yeah that's cool yeah all right nice pick <laughs> okay i'll just come out and say it no i'm just kidding <laughs> it's another french new wave film oh boy okay <clears throat> i think i know what this is but i don't think ahead. you do okay maybe i not. i think <laughs> you know one of the ones that's on the list but not this one okay but anyways <laughs> uh there's another film by this director, I'd say it's his most well-known. We've talked about it on the show before, but I really do think I like this one more. Um, I noted in my review that I feel as if I am too young to fully appreciate and understand it. It shows really well how infinitely complex and messy love and human relationships are, and it deals with those complex human relationships and situations. By the end, I hated certain characters and I rooted for others. And I also felt it really captures the beauty of French culture. There's a song in the middle of the film that one of the characters sings 
that I listen to on Spotify regularly. It's really beautiful. Nice. Um, this is Jules et Jim from oh. France, 1962, directed by Francois Truffaut. Dang. So, bro, have you seen this? What do you know about it? No, but you swerved me because the <laughs> other one that I probably know that's on your list is also one that's not as talked about as one of his more famous movies. Very true. And you like it. I will more. mention that. It, yeah. I, it, that next <laughs> one's on my list, but... Anyway, yeah, okay. So I recently, like, remembered, I guess, that Jules and Jim is from Truffaut. Like, for some reason, right. I always related it to Godard or someone else from France. Uh, just because Truffaut, like, I don't know, he has 400 blows and... Yeah, that's what I, I should have mentioned. That's the other one. If, yeah. For the uninitiated. That was his first one and probably more autobiographical than Jules and Jim, but... You know, I've heard about yeah. that movie. I haven't seen it, unfortunately. Again, man, it feels like we're yeah, just telling each other movies that neither of us have seen. But uh, yeah, that, that's it was on my list to catch up with, and I just didn't get a chance to yeah. get around to it. I highly so. recommend that one. It's really, really good. Um, I feel like I should watch it on like Valentine's Day or something because <laughs> it's really like messed up love triangle situation. Sweet, but super interesting. And I don't remember a ton from it, but I really do remember liking it. And I think I can stand by the statement that I like it more than the 400 blows. Dang. That's a Which high is, bar. It's hard. It's yeah, it's really hard. I, I mean, I like them for different reasons, but yeah. I think it's, this one's a little bit more mature. Mm. Uh, I mean, it's dealing with adults and their troubles instead of a child. And yeah. so, I mean, that's one thing to think about, but that's true. I think probably I related more to 400 blows because yeah. I could put myself in the shoes. I, I guess I shouldn't say related more to it because I haven't seen it, <laughs> but I did relate to it really well. And like, that's why that bar is so high for me right. because 400 blows, man, we talked about this before, I think. Yeah. Well, I talked about my fifties list. Yeah. It's just such a gut punch movie, man. Like it's so depressing, but it's just about this boy and his life. And it's like, honestly, really good. You know, that's something that, you know, I feel like France does really well. They can balance or at least the best French directors from this era and stuff, um, they can really balance the heavy, dark themes with, you know, some upbeat, some comedy, yeah. uh, some some lightness. So I think yeah, that I think, does it really well. Yeah, and I like I think Jules and Jim will be one that I'll visit later in my life. Right. Because like I said, I don't think I can really fully understand and appreciate all the complex themes going on and... I can't really put myself as much in the shoes of the characters. I mean, I kind of know what heartbreak feels like, but... <laughs> oh. Anyways. Cool. That's it. Jules and Jim. All right. Yeah. My last one, eh? No, this is we number five. Yeah. This is number five, but uh, I know which one I'm going to do last, so I'm going to put this one uh, at number five. Again, it's not ranked, but this is my fifth pick. Um, rarely does a movie do so many things right. This probably does everything right. <laughs> I The only thing I wanted more from the film was, well, more of it. Uh, <laughs> the D.A. Pennebaker's concert documentary ah. during the Summer of Love has just about everything that I enjoy, primarily the music. This type and style of music has got to be one of my favorites to listen to, which might inform part of why I love The Graduate so much. Uh, not only do Simon and Garfunkel perform, but the Mamas and the Papas, the Who, the Rolling Stones, and Jimi Freakin' Hendrix give show-stopping performances. Hmm. Obviously, this is Monterey Pop from 1968. I loved this movie from the first frame and didn't want it to end. Uh, I know you've seen this one. Yeah. I guess I should ask, bro, have you seen and what do you think about <laughs> it? Yeah, I think 
I watched it like a week before you or something. I don't. I definitely am not as high on it. It's not as much of the music I'm into. I mean, I I am, but not as much. Mm-hmm. I definitely, you definitely are the the lead here. Yeah. But I watched this as a double feature with "Stop Making Sense" by the Talking Heads, not by the Talking Heads. <laughs> Jonathan Demi. About the Talking yeah. Heads. Uh, that was a good double feature. I was in like this weird music doc uh, realm, and I liked this one a lot. I think. I, I like D.A. D. Penn Baker. His short film, Daybreak Express, is one of my favorites. If we ever do some sort of short film episode or I make some sort of list, that one will be pretty high up. I was going to recommend uh, Monterey Pop as one of my honorable mentions, uh, as a good documentary. Um, yeah, the performances were great. D.A. Penn Baker's style really makes it not super boring. It's a really fun concert. It doesn't. It's not just a lame concert. Uh, and that similar to stop making sense, it, there's a lot more style and substance yeah. to it than you'd think. Yeah. And I think it te- this one tells a really cool story as like stories yeah. as well, and with the era and and such. Yeah, and I really like that really long closing scene. I think that was a cool one. Yeah, it was really kind of entrancing. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the guy's name, but he plays a sitar, just like for twenty minutes straight, yeah. just jamming like free form. Anyway, it is really impressive. But yeah, like you said, uh, the filmmaking style, I mean, obviously watching these great, great musicians perform is a treat in and of itself. Right. But Pennebaker takes it to another level where other documentarians maybe would just kind of shoot the stage or have a couple of angles, maybe get a shot of the audience. But this one is so stylized. One shot from the movie that is like permanently stuck in my mind is when Otis Redding is singing. And, uh, oh, that was cool. Basically, his whole performance is shot from behind him. Yeah, and he kept walking in front of the light, and it was yeah. like, that was cool. It's I really remember that. awesome. Oh, I forgot to mention Otis Redding. I mean, he's one of my favorite <laughs> artists of all time, and love his music. He's per- just jamming out in this movie, uh, in this concert. I haven't yet seen the solo documentary. It's about a half hour about just him. It's called Shake Otis at Monterey, but I did watch the almost an hour Jimi Hendrix uh, documentary, which was really, really great, and I think it makes a great companion to this movie, Monterey nice. Pop. So, yeah, uh, that style, the stylism, the style of it, <laughs> the style of it is really um, impressive, and it really captures the era better than, you know, it could have been, I guess. Yeah, I, I think I'll have to rewatch it. But I want to say that when the camera was on stage, that's when it was the most stylized. Like, it would move in interesting ways and really flashy. And then I think when it was showing the crowd, like, it was a lot more pans and stuff. Like, And I think that really, of course, when you're with the performers, it really just has that energy to it. It's really, really cool. Yeah, and it's cut together so well. Like, one of the first uh, performances that we get is California Dreamin' by the oh, Moms yeah. and the Papas. And that's one of the most iconic and famous songs of the era. So we get that. And for me, I wasn't really familiar with what they looked like Mm. as artists. And so then later in the film, uh, it's kind of called back to when other artists are performing and we get a shot of the mamas and the papas sitting in the audience, just blown away, man, just mind blown. And it's so cool to see like, man, if those guys who are amazing in their own right, are watching these people perform and they're loving it, then like that must be something special. And one of the major things that I took away from the movie was just how how extraordinary it would be 
to like go to this concert, this festival in the middle of the summer, like. A lot of these artists nobody had really ever heard of. Yeah. This is Jimi Hendrix's kind it's of like coming an, it's out It's like party. an indie, like, little weird sub. Yeah. No one really... I think the Rolling Stones were just getting started around this era. They probably were kind of big, but, like, obviously hadn't blown up as mega superstars yet. Uh, but, but again, like, these kids had no idea what they were getting themselves into. Mm-hmm. Like, they had no idea the kind of, you know, true, just timeless art was going to be, you know put forth to them uh during this weekend or whenever it was so yeah anyway i'm so glad d.i pinwaker got this on film dude it's way cool i want to check out those other docs as well as all the like extras it has like the other songs that people performed Mm -hmm. like simon and garfunkel the song they picked for the movie i wish they would have picked like (laughs) one of the other ones but yeah it wasn't one of their hits but it was a great song i yeah but the extras have a bunch of the other performances of the other songs which would be really cool as well yeah awesome yeah, I just I we talked about that a while, but yeah, <laughs> it's a good it's really one. Really good. Streaming now on the Criterion Channel. But... It is. A lot of these are. Actually. <laughs> yeah, most of these, I think almost all of them. Okay, I'm trying to decide which one I want to save for last and which one I want to do now. <laughs> okay, I think I got it. Okay, it's interesting that I that this film is one of my favorites of all time. I don't love the genre that much, and it, even the subgenre, I have I don't really like it that much. But I have yet to see the rest of this trilogy, as I believe it is. And I'm looking forward to future decades to check those out along the way. Those will definitely be high on my lists. And I haven't seen any other of this director's works, but I adore this one to death. The violence, the suspense driven by a killer score, the group dynamics, the special effects, and the low-budget independent filmmaking techniques are all things I love about this film, which is Night of the Living Dead... 1969, directed by George A. Romero. Knew it. Haha. Yeah. uh, Fun fact, we actually recorded an episode of this, one of our first ones that we never actually posted because it was pretty awful. It's buried deep in the archives. Yeah, you'll never hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Haha. But in the future, we'll probably be doing that again. Yeah, we should revisit it Oh, that's so good. This movie's so good. So, bro, have you seen this? What do you think? I have seen this. Thanks to you. Again, we did an episode, so I watched it in preparation for that. Yeah. And it's really good. I didn't love it as much as you, uh, despite my love for horror. Again, you're more of the foundational horror stuff, like yeah. early, early stuff. Uh, Stuff's so exciting. I don't know why. It's like <laughs> so interesting. It's good. I I don't know. I always seek out like some pretty intense crap <laughs> and like more modern stuff just because I like that stuff more. But this one was good. You know, I've come to appreciate it since then. Just, you know, I watched a documentary about Tom Savini, I think I mentioned this before, but he is like, you know, the granddaddy of horror special effects. The Godfather. Wait, no. Just <laughs> I mean, he he really started something new. You know, like we consider horror nowadays to be bloody and gory and gruesome, right? And pretty intense, like violent, and like thanks to Tom Savini, that's kind of what it is. Like he's who to thank for that. Mostly, obviously, there were other people at the time who were doing stuff. But he sent it right into the mainstream. Um, I think... So he saw Night of the Living Dead. Obviously loved it like pretty much everyone who likes yeah. horror. Um, but he loved it. He kind of grew up on it. And then he got a chance to work on Dawn of the Dead, I believe. The next Yeah, that's the film? second one. Yeah. That's in the early 70s. So I'm, yeah. next month I'll be watching He got that. to work on that. And George Romero just kind of gave him free reign like... I remember there was a moment where he's like, hey, 
George, we want to do a scene of someone getting killed with a screwdriver or something. And so he's like, okay. So they worked <laughs> it into the story, and sure enough, you know, Tom Savini's special effects got to That's awesome. you know, kill a zombie with a screwdriver. So um, anyway, all that to say, Night of the Living Dead, it's fundamental, it's foundational. It's a classic. Yeah, if you like horror, got to check it out. That's but... the weird thing, is that I don't really like horror that Like, I'm not right. big into horror, and I don't even like zombie movies. Yeah. Like, I... I don't really. Like I don't care either. about zombies at all, but this movie is so good. Like, I don't know why I like it so much. It is good, and it it's kind of one of those slow burns as well. Like, yeah, this era, uh, there wasn't really any super intense stuff. This was shocking for the time period, but looking back now, it is more of a slow burn. Exactly. But do you Sweet. have any, anything else to say on it, or? Ah, uh, too much. So I won't say anything else because right. we'll yeah. probably do an episode. We could. I don't want to get carried sure. away, but true. It's so good. Okay. This is your final one. Leads me to my final one. Okay, you oh. don't even you don't even know I watched this. But... Okay. Okay. All right. Let's <clears throat> sit back and enjoy. <laughs> okay. So while the other films in this list were somewhat conventional, only really major film buffs will know what this is. If they do, they will most likely understand why I esteem it so highly. It is one that I knew had to be put on this list. If for no other reason than to simply highlight it and put it on the radar of someone else who hasn't heard of it. To call it a musical would be an understatement. To call it colorful would be an understatement. To call it a beautiful tale of two people in love would also be an understatement. Hmm. Not even you know I watched this film, bro, and the anticipation is killing me. This is, <laughs> this is The Umbrellas of Cherbourg Ooh. from Jacques Demy, director Jacques Demy, um, who actually was married to Agnes Varda for a long time. Uh, I instantly became swept up in this immaculate and lush world where the characters never speak a word. It follows Guy, pronounced Guy, and Genevieve, pronounced Genevieve, Ooh. as two young lovers who want to be together but are constantly pulled apart. Whether it's Genevieve's mother or Guy's military service, there are forces acting against their love. If you like musicals, check this out. If you don't love musicals, check it out anyway. <laughs> because <laughs> it's not like any other musical that you've ever seen. And it's just so good that you need to see it as soon as possible. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what do you yeah, know about it? I've know literally anything? heard the title... Once. Yeah. In all of my amateur film adventures, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know what else to say there, I've only heard of this mentioned once by, I watched some YouTube video, someone was going through all their Criterion movies, I think it's on a Blu-ray, That's, yeah. yeah, they have, and, and this lady I was watching mentioned that like briefly, I think she was like, I bought it just because of the title, or like, I think that was the one she was talking about, mm. but that's literally the only place I've ever heard about it, it's the only time I've ever heard about it. I haven't seen it on any lists. I haven't seen it on the channel. Like, for some reason, it's just, like, way under my radar, yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, so it's part of the Jacques Demy box set that Criterion did, but it also got a solo Blu-ray release later. So okay. I think pretty recently Yeah. Uh, it got its own solo Blu-ray release, um, and it's probably the most praised of Demy's films. If you know who Demy is... And if you like, if you've seen any of his movies, you've probably seen this. He's also done like the Young Girls of Rochefort and Donkey Skin and Lola and a couple other movies mm. that I don't really know about. But this is the one that stood out to me the most. Uh, 
Yeah. Maybe a little bit similar with Night of the Living Dead for you. This isn't really up my alley at all. <laughs> like, uh, the only thing I heard about it was that it was, it had songs. Like, in fact, I found that out later after I'd heard about the movie, and I was surprised to hear that it was kind of a musical. Uh, but then I watched it, and, like, there's literally no dialogue. They sing everything. That's so weird. Uh, it's really short. It's, like, an hour and a half. And, but, like, I don't know. Like I said, it's so lush. It's so, you know, just wonderful and s- sweeping. The music is, like, incredible. I mean, it's super well done. And, uh, yeah, this love story. I haven't given really anything away. Um, so... Definitely, like... Nice. I don't think there's one movie on here that I could recommend higher than this one, and I just barely saw it, like, last week, so... Dang. <laughs> I mean, as much as I love, like, The Graduate and Rosemary's Baby, which I've, I saw uh, more into the past, um, this one, it really stood out, and, like, yeah, I want to watch it again. <laughs> That's awesome. Let's just... I don't have to give my last one. We'll just stop here, and we'll watch it, and then... Okay, cool. Post the episode, and... <laughs> Anyways, okay, this is actually exciting because, I mean, you already know what this last one is, but it dovetails surprisingly nice with mine. Sweet. Um, okay, hold on. It's just like, I don't know where to start with this one. <laughs> okay, first of all, based on my feelings after I rewatch it soon, I will then take it into consideration to be one of my favorite movies. But I haven't seen it twice, and it's maybe it was just that first time bias... Maybe it was just because the movie that came before this was, you know, different. I don't know what it was about it, but when I watched it, I loved it so much. It's very funny, which I wasn't expecting. It's kind of, um, it's kind of uh, poking fun at musicals, American musicals. It's a weird genre blend between a musical and a comedy and tragedy and drama. It's uh, so cool. It explores themes of human nature, desire, yearning for true love, and the seemingly inevitable disappointment and complexity of humans and our relationships with each other. Similar to Jules and Jim, which is actually referenced in this movie. Nice. Um, the visual style is often simple, yet so striking. Oh, the red and the blue, like the apartments and the scenes are uh, all devoid of color except like a character sweater and a lamp in the corner and they're like blue and, and uh red and it's like oh so beautiful the camera movements everything about it it's super french new wave it's very slice of life uh it's about a woman she's a stripper and she wants a child and she's juggling these two men and yeah it kind of goes from there it's a really interesting story it has a lot of funny moments uh that i won't that i won't give away but I kind of laugh and think about them every now and again. Of course, this is Une Femme et Une Femme by Jean-Luc Godard from 1961. Or, translated to English, A Woman is a Woman. <laughs> Thank you for translating that. Yes, you're welcome. For all of us peasants who don't know French. Yes, all of you lame people, okay? <laughs> this is one of the most important movies ever made. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but it came after Breathless, and yeah. so... Yeah. And I think I like... I think I like it more. It's kind of like the 400 Blows, Jules and Jim thing. Mm. For some reason, it's just like, that one is the most highly well-known and well-praised Godard movie, and I am I wish I would have finished all of his 60s movies because I'm like halfway through mm. um, of watching them chronologically. But I, I wrote in my review that 
I anticipated this one standing out to me, and it really has. Uh, from all the ones I've seen after, I think I've seen like five since then, and this one still is my favorite one. Like, it's just so good. So, bro, I know you haven't seen this, but well, I don't know. I've talked about it multiple times on the show, so I don't know. What do you know about it? What do you think? Actually, I have seen it. What? Just kidding. Oh, <laughs> I was so excited. <laughs> no, but I know how much you like it. And I've seen some stills from the movie, and I will agree the colors are really nice. Oh, dude, they're so nice. <laughs> so, so that's much what I have to say about it. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, I knew what this was. This is yeah. what I was guessing when you said Jules and Jim. Yeah, they're kind of similar. And yeah. like I said, it's referenced. One of the characters is like, uh, one of the characters asks the lady from Jules and Jim, how's Jules and Jim? Like, huh. up, like straight up, like it's super referenced. And then there's a, in a window, there's a TV that's playing one of Agnes Varda's short films. Yeah. And I think she might have cameoed, but anyways, Maybe. it's interesting. I was happy to pick up on those little references. Yeah, those, I mean, those three directors, including Rivette, they always like referenced each other and they were good friends. Like they always hung out and made movies together and stuff. Like It's cool. Uh, in Cleo from 5 to 7, she watches a short film. Uh, that was filmed by Agnes Varda, but it features Godard and Anna Karina, yeah. the star of... Yeah, Bill how could I not mention her? She's amazing. She's in most of Godard's movies. She's gorgeous, but super cold at times. She's like such an interesting character, but yeah. such a powerful force on screen. And one of my favorite actresses, um, probably. Nice. Yeah, she recently passed, and mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of stuff about her, people praising her and stuff. So, I mean, I've seen Breathless... And this movie definitely lives in its shadow, but I just, from yeah. what I've heard about from you, I need to see it. And it's in- I almost watched Alphaville as oh, well. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm like there. two away from watching that chronologically. I wanted to watch Weekend, which I've heard is like amazing. 1967. Weekend? Yeah. That one I've heard is really good. But that's interesting. It's interesting to know because like this one isn't available in, on Criterion, on Blu-ray, it's out of print on DVD, I think. Yeah. And it's just hard, it's like hard to find. I never heard really anybody talk about it. It's, uh, when you hear about Godard, you don't hear about this one. So I definitely recommend it. I think it's a little bit underrated. And like you said, I think it does live under the shadow of, uh, of Breathless. So yeah, I'd recommend it. Cool. Awesome. So that's my last pick. That's, that's Solid. all the 12 from the 60s. Six yeah. from the 60s plus six from the 60s. 12. From the 60s. Yes. <laughs> Movies. Yes. Uh, films. <laughs> oh. Motion pictures. Yes. From the decade of 1960. Mm-hmm. Which was 10 years. Mm. <laughs> In span. <laughs> okay, cool. This is stupid. Anyway. Yeah. That Dude, that was actually up. 60. Wait, it wasn't. Yeah, 60 years ago. Cool. Wow. Check it out. Dude, whoa. Okay. <laughs> okay. That wraps it up pretty well, I think. Yeah, uh, just like a little bit over an hour, so. Yeah, join us next month for Seven from the 70s. Ooh. Maybe, if we want to do that. I know you haven't seen very many uh, 70s movies. Yeah, so I'm going to have to prep a lot. <laughs> we might put a hold on that and do another top list of some kind. We'll debate about it, but we'll probably put out that sort of info soon-ish. Uh, and then, obviously... Um, later this week, we'll release another What's Entertaining You Deluxe Premium, which includes our monthly pickups from the month of April. Uh, and I have quite a bit of stuff to say just because, I mean, I got like my tax refund. Oh yeah. Government stimulus check. So I went a little bit crazy and I bought (laughs) quite a lot of stuff. 
I still have enough saved up, you know, in case this quarantine goes on for a lot longer. And I'm still working, luckily, uh, thankfully. Right. But uh, anyway, yeah, I have a lot to talk about with the monthly pickups thing. So yeah, it's going to be exciting. Join, join us for that. Probably um, come out Monday morning at 6 a.m. Yeah. Cool. That's a good uh, wrap up to the show. Uh, that was a nice last pick for you. And uh, I guess we can... Before we head out of here completely, let's talk about our honorable mentions. What are the yes. ones that almost made your list? All right, so The Graduate that you mentioned. Cool. We talked about that. I that thought for sure that would close. make your list. Yeah, I, I, it was going to. It was high up. Yeah. Um, Bonnie and Clyde. Cool. Uh, Psycho. That was high up for me. And Wait Until Dark. Yeah. We mentioned that yeah. when we were talking about uh, Rosemary's Baby. 2001 A Space Odyssey, I actually watched like the first half of that last night. I wanted it to make my list. Even if I had finished it, I still don't think it would because all the other ones. Yeah. Um, Eight and a Half by Fellini. Cool. Yeah. Um, that I... one is really, really interesting. I definitely, it went way over my head. I watched it a while ago and I, it was one of my first Criterions mm-hmm. and I was really confused, but I liked it, but I was confused. Yeah. Personally, I didn't find it all that confusing. Uh, but it was really kind of trippy, and I really liked it. I, I yeah. thought it was great. I don't know what I was expecting when I went in, so I really, like, I, if I watched it now, I think I would be more equipped to handle it. It's yeah. definitely out there. Yeah, and and uh, I like Fellini uh, because I think the Italian language is just so musical Dude, to me. I love that whole culture. The Eight and a Half is so cool. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's got like, a lot it's of like, pitter-patter. Oh, it's cool. You know, to the language. He and, has, like, uh, his cool glasses, and they just drink yeah. wine and dance, and, like, it's just so I mean, cool. he's kind of a big jerk, but yeah. the movie's good. <laughs> it's cool. Like, that movie, I was like, wow, Italian culture is cool. I should watch more Italian movies. Yeah, seriously. I liked that movie. Um, Blood Feast, another 60s horror one, like, the foundational horror stuff. Yeah. Uh, by the godfather of gore himself, Herschel Gordon Lewis. Ooh, yeah. uh, I've now watched three of his 60s films. And Blood Feast, probably still maybe my favorite one, but uh, Color Me Blood Red was the most recent one I watched. I like that the most, I think. But uh, Blood Feast is good, and it's a classic, of course. Uh, for a short film, kind of interesting to throw one of these in, uh, it's A Scary Time. I think it's by Shirley Clark. Don't quote me on that. Hmm. And it's a interesting uh, social commentary juxtaposition between uh, kids in America and kids in foreign countries dealing with malnutrition and disease and it's a really it's like a unicef project Hmm. uh where they're trying to raise money for these uh um struggling developing countries and that's a really interesting i I like that one the most because it always comes to mind when i think of short films because i think it's an excellent example of a story that's best told in the short film format it's something that you could only do in that way it's like 15 minutes long it's really concise and it really has a cool message and a cool idea and it's executed well so nice. I was going to recommend Monterey Pop as a doc. Cool. So we talked about that as well. Um, oh, shoot. I had one more. Hold on. Uh, Le Carabinier. This is a Godard film. Uh, maybe my s- second or third favorite, I think. Maybe fourth. But I, it's really, really interesting. Uh, super underrated. I, I had to like, I had to order this on DVD on eBay to find it even and, bo- yeah. and watch it. And it's one of the best anti-war films. Uh, I talked about it on the show before, but... Definitely check that one out. It's it's really interesting. I mean, I don't know how you would. It's hard to find, but it's good nonetheless. <laughs> Maybe you're suggesting that people should also order the DVD off eBay. Yes. If there is one uh, available, please order it now. <laughs> cool. 
All right, is that it for you? Yeah, I think that's all. Sweet. Okay, I have quite a few. I'll just start off by saying the ones that narrowly missed the cut. Okay. Uh, the Apartment, Billy Wilder. Ooh, nice. I mentioned some Like It Hot, I think, uh, as an honorable mention for our 50s list. I really love them, uh, but I decided to put... Uh, which one was it? I think I put Cleo slightly ahead of The Apartment. Right. As much as I love The Apartment, I mean, of all the movies like that deserve to win Best Picture, I think The Apartment is in like the top tier of best pictures. I have this little running theory going. A lot of people like to bag on like the Oscars, the Academy Awards, especially the best picture category because they'll say like, oh, such and such film shouldn't have won right. uh, because this other film was way better. Um, but they do that and it's kind of dismissive of the film that did win. Like, I feel like every one that won best picture is good. Hmm. Uh, and I'm working through, all, I haven't seen all of them by any stretch um but the ones that i have seen i think hold a lot of merit despite i mean like i'm probably in the minority on shakespearean love i thought it was really good you know i i like the shakespearean dialogue and like the kind of simple romance whatever uh obviously it beat out uh i think it was saving private ryan and like a lot of people were super upset about that but you know what it's still a good movie okay like saving private ryan I haven't seen. I've heard it's amazing. I'm sure it is, but that doesn't mean that Shakespeare in Love is a bad movie. Uh, if you think it's a bad movie for other reasons, that's fine. <laughs> but anyway, all that to say, I really thought that the apartment was great. I think it deserved to win. Uh, Billy Wilder is genius. He's super great, like comedic uh, director and stuff. Anyway, yeah, that narrowly missed my cut. Also. Just scanning through here. Cool Hand Luke, I really Ooh, like. yeah, I wanted movie. to watch that. Also Persona. Yes, that um, probably is should be on my honor mention. I don't know if it's my favorite Bergman movie. I've only seen three. Uh, <laughs> I talked about The Seventh Me Seal too. last time. That was part of my 50s list. Persona is so complex and so interesting, and I need to watch it again before I really weigh in too much. Yojimbo was really high on my list as well. Mm. I'm really getting into that samurai Kurosawa. movie. Yeah, and it's rare that Kurosawa does a movie that's less than, like, three hours. And so, mm-hmm. you know, Jimbo being an hour and a half, perfect. Um, just shouting out a couple others. Tom Jones, another Best Picture winner that I don't understand, but it was a good movie. 2001, Space Odyssey. Love it. Of course. One of Kubrick's best movies, if not his best. You got Easy Rider and Midnight Cowboy, both from that late 60s era of American cinema. Uh, shout out to Charlie Brown Christmas, dude. Dude, that, nice. that movie rocks. Like, I watch it every Christmas, and I love it every uh, more every time. Um, yeah, we watched and Lawrence of Arabia. I actually mentioned in my Letterboxd review that this would briefly get mentioned, so I have to. Oh. We spent so much time on it because it's right. three, three hours and 50 minutes or whatever. Yeah. And so, like, it has to be mentioned just because of all the effort that we put into it. That's true. That's true. But I didn't necessarily love it. It's fine. It's good. You know, it deserves all the praise that it got. But, like, am I going to go watch it again? No. Not anytime soon. (laughs) Too long. Too, too long. (laughs) Too long. Yeah, there's a lot of movies I could mention here, but those were some of the bigger ones. Hard Day's Night. I love that. Ooh, yeah. Uh, The music doc. Yeah, To Kill a Mockingbird. I liked it when I saw it. I need to rewatch yeah, it. Yeah, I watched that in school, so I can't like that movie. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, Salesman, I mentioned in one of our uh, extended weekly recommends. I think the first one that we did. 
or no. not weekly recommends, but it's what's entertaining yeah. this week. Premium uh, our deluxe Christmas premium one. one. <laughs> also, Frosty the Snowman, dope Ooh, Christmas yeah. Dude, movie. and How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the OG. Oh, somehow I don't have that on here. Ooh, classic. Anyway, uh, yeah, For Musher with Love, that's another one I really like. Bonnie and Clyde, Wait Until Dark, Great Escape. I didn't really like The Birds. Uh, yeah. I liked Breathless. Breathless. The original Ocean's yeah. Eleven I've seen, I didn't oh, really yeah, love either. Yeah. The, the Steven Soderbergh one is way better. And... Yeah, Night of the Living Dead, The Alphabet by David Lynch. Yeah, Six Men Getting Sick. Uh, Pretty creepy short another film. Another good short by David Lynch. Fistful of Dollars, Sergio Leone basically ripping off Yojimbo. Not ripping off, but uh, it's a remake, and it's really good. So, yeah. Did I say Andrei Rublev? Nope. Andrei Rublev. I really need, that's my next, uh, dude, Tarkovsky. The artwork on the Criterion is so good. <laughs> I talk about it all the time. Can't believe I, you haven't bought it yet, dude. I know, it's, it's my favorite artwork on any Criterion cover. So look it up, Andre Rublev. It's freaking sweet. Anyway, all right, that's it Epic. for that my phew. my honorable mentions. There's a lot. Ten more 60s minutes. were awesome, man. 60s no, were for awesome. sure. And like we said a billion times, couldn't get around to all of them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. maybe I I tease the idea of revisiting these lists in the future and doing like an updated one. So yeah. we'll like keep you posted. Like maybe next year we'll do another six from the 60s and five from the 50s and uh, update on the new ones we've seen because I'm sure there's going to be some that beat out my list. Uh, I mean, I don't know. These ones are pretty great, but mm-hmm. you never know. Yeah, speaking of the list that we had, uh, music documentaries, Don't Look Back, I really wanted to see that, but I watched Monterey Pop instead because I'm more of a fan of those musicians than Bob Dylan, but right. I'm interested in Bob Dylan. Uh, high and Low, Lord oh, of the Flies. I watched High and Low. Good. Very good. Cool. A non, non-Samurai non Kurosawa. Very good. Nice. Yeah. Reminded me of Parasite. Sorry. Keep going. Sweet. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Flies, Ivan's Childhood, Repulsion, another Polanski, oh, yeah. Harakiri, a Kobayashi movie, Jules and Jim was one up there I didn't get to, and Spartacus, another Kubrick. So a lot of these are like um, adjacent to the ones that I did pick. Right. But um, I'll, I'll eventually get to them. I have a much bigger list. I mean, even Playtime is on there uh, that you mentioned. Uh, so eventually I'll get to these. I mean, they've been on my list for years, and they probably will be for years to come, just mm-hmm. until I can see all the films that, are, Shipping away. that have ever been made. Yep, someday. Cool. All right, bro. That's the end of the show. What are we discussing next week, bro? Next week's episode is one of my personal favorites from the 90s. It's Sneakers. And if you want to go back in time and listen to our earlier episodes, those can all be found at brohaveyouseen.captivate.fm. Yeah, and all of our episodes can be downloaded on iTunes and Spotify. Please take a second to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. You have no idea how much it helps us grow the show and reach new listeners out there. If you have any feedback about the show, any at all, please let us know in your iTunes review or you can email us at brohaveyouseenpodcast at gmail.com. For sure. And each new episode is posted at 6 a.m. on Fridays. That's Mountain Standard Time. If you want to see what else is entertaining me, check me out on Letterboxd at Barn Clark. Yep, and I'm Everett Clark 236. See you next week, bro. See ya. See ya.